Hello everyone and welcome back to this new season of the Burning Case podcast. I am really, really, really excited to start this new season with you and hopefully bring you always more news, always more analysis on how politics and the most pressing issues of our time relate and what you can do as an individual, as a consumer and as a citizen. And today there's something very new, which I'm very excited about, is that I am not alone to host this podcast. I have someone else from the Burning Case team, which is with me. And yeah, if you've listened to our previous episodes, you might notice that this is the first time. So it's really exciting. Um, Hi, Jade. Do you want to say a few words? Uh, Yeah. Hi, I'm Jade. Uh, Thank you for welcoming me to the podcast. Um, I am here in Brussels, work in the NGO world, uh, live in the Brussels bubble and very interested in trying to translate the policies we have in Europe to make it more accessible and more just sound normal, you know? Which is our goal here at the Burning Case podcast, so it's um, really exciting to have you here today. Thank you. Um, Today we'll be discussing a very, very essential, important topic which is land and environment defenders. So if you're not sure what this means, we'll we'll let you know in a minute. But we're here because there was a report that was published in September by the NGO Global Witness called Last Line of Defense, which is the yearly edition of a report they publish on the state, if I may say, of environmental defenders around the world and the challenges they face. And we have a very special guest to tell us um, about this report. Yeah, so we have Rachel Cox, who's a campaigner at Global Witness. She will be giving us a bit more of an insight uh, into the report um, and also about Global Witness, who works to keep companies and governments to account for the bad things they do for the planet and the people. Um, So yeah, um, Rachel, how about you tell us a bit about the report? Hi, both. Yeah, thank you. Um, So yeah, so this year... um, Global Witness released um, our report uh, where we recorded um, the murder of 227 land environmental defenders in 2020. So that's an average of more than four people a week who um, have died after standing up to protect their land, uh, livelihoods and the environment. Um, You know, this is a report that uh, Global Witness puts out annually. um, And looking at the, the data trends over time, Um, we've documented a consecutive rise in the number of killings globally since 2018. So that's rising to well over 200 defenders murdered in 2019 and 2020, which is over the double double the number we previously recorded uh, when we started to publish this report in 2012-2013. I think, you know, the 2020 figures uh, figures are, um, despite being the highest figure we've ever recorded, you know, we believe that our data set is almost certainly an underestimate. You know, the, the pace and the scale of climate breakdown as, as um, that is increasing, we, we are seeing this rise in violence um, against offenders. And I think what this report really shows um, in comparison uh, to others we've put out over the years is that climate and social justice are incredibly interlinked. And that as the climate crisis continues to spiral out, out of control, we see um, we're seeing this kind of increase in threat against land environmental um, activists worsening. So there's this there is this clear connection between climate breakdown and uh, violence against people. Perfect. Thank you so much. I'm a bit curious. Um, so you said you started the report um, earlier. Um, I think it was 2012. Um, 
could you tell us why you guys started publishing this report? So Global Witness is a campaign, um, a campaigning organisation, an advocacy organisation uh, that runs various campaigns looking at uh, the exploitation of natural resources. We have a campaign that, um, you know, around um, deforestation, campaigns around uh, gas. And the, the Land Environmental Defenders campaign is one of um, one of our newer campaigns. It emerged really because we noticed a connection between the ex- exploitation and the extraction of natural resources and an increase in violence against the communities um, on the front lines that were campaigning and, and working or standing up against specific, specifically harmful projects. And really, the campaign really, or the data set, so this, this report, that, this annual report that we put out, really began because we, there was a former colleague of Global Witness, Trip Witty, a, cam- uh, a campaigner, uh, in Cambodia, uh, who was working um, and looking at illegal uh, logging in in the country, and he was killed um, whilst whilst on on you know surveying illegal logging in in the area. And um, basically, this kind of really brought to the forefront the the types of reprisals that uh, not just uh, professional activists or you know NGO workers face but specifically communities working on the ground to kind of protect natural resources um, we're facing. Thanks for the explanation Rachel can you let us know where and why are these people getting killed for defending the environment like are there countries or regions around the world that are most affected Um, what are the industries that are the most responsible because one of the things you say in your report is that Um, You know, the industries that are causing the climate crisis are also the industries that are responsible for killing environmental defenders. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on this? Uh, Yeah, sure. So in 2020, three out of four recorded attacks were in Latin America. Um, And this is a region that we have consistently seen appearing as one of the worst affected in our data, um, in the data we've collected on the murder of environmental activists. You know, for the last two years, Colombia has been the country with the highest um, total recorded attacks with 65 defenders killed in 2020. Um, And we see similar trends in terms of the types of environmental activists that are under threat. So a third of activists um, targeted in Colombia were indigenous and Afro-descendant people. Um, almost half were small. Uh, half of attacks were against small-scale farmers, and these these kinds of trends are, are not just specific on a country by country basis, but we see them kind of occurring ac- across the region. So indigenous communities tend to be highly at risk, with a third of those attacked uh, last year belonging to indigenous um, the indigenous populations globally. Otherwise, you know, it's so killings don't just affect um, Latin America. That's that's one region of the world where we have uh, consistently documented a high number of attacks. But we also see attacks occurring globally. This is this is a global data set, and we see you know there is consistency in the types of countries where there are high levels of attacks occurring. So the Philippines remains one of the deadliest countries um, uh, in Asia for activists uh, last year. 29 people were killed. It was the highest figure outside of the Americas. So that was um, an interesting overview you gave. It's good. It's interesting to see that there's um, it's certain regions that are more affected than others, even though it's a global data set. 
Um, I was wondering if you could expand upon the story of Oscar. Yeah, I think, um, so one of the, um, or many, so I think it's important to say that many threats and attacks against offenders occur after communities are voicing their concern, particularly um, about corporate activity. Um, and one of the cases in our 2020 report um, was uh, or is related to the activism of Oscar Adams. So this is a indigenous uh, activist and defender who um, well actually was who's actually murdered um, a year ago today. So the 24th of September 2020 at his home when a group of people basically arrived um, at his house with tinted win- you know in a van tinted windows um, and shot him. You know it's a it's a this is this type of story of killings of activists where you know individuals are either at home at work going about their daily business is is not uncommon at all um and the perpetrators of these attacks are often not identifiable and in the case of oscar he had been working predominantly promoting water rights for for his community um there are a number of industries that were entering uh, the local area who were draining um, or the community's claim were draining water, uh, making it much harder for communities to access water. Um, And Oscar was at the forefront of trying to protect water rights. Um, And this is this is really a I think this is an area which is becoming increasing, which is increasing in terms of the type of activism or the type of industry or impact of industry that defenders are facing, Um, you know, are you know, in this data set, we try to draw links between the, the types of industry that defenders are uh, speaking out against um, who are killed. And uh, water and dams was actually had the biggest rise. It rose dramatically in 2020 from six year, uh, six killings in 2019 to 20 uh, lethal attacks in 2020. So that's a huge rise in the number of uh, people campaigning on water rights who um, who were killed last year. Um, Oscar being one of them. Well, yeah, that sounds like a massive increase. Um, And it, I guess, kind of relates to the situation we're now facing globally when it comes to water and water scarcity. I I kind of had a a question because I I really want, before we move on to what is your role in this and what can people do both as citizens and as as kind of consumers, I, I really want people to understand that essentially these people are being killed for protecting their communities, protecting their environment by industry that we are consuming. A lot of us are consuming here in Europe and that it's because of the lack of um, regulation that we currently have. So maybe, I, I don't even know if this is possible because I'm guessing there's a lot of, um, of work and secrecy that goes around the reports in order to protect a lot of the defenders that you work with and that you're in contact with. But maybe can you explain how you, very briefly, but how you make the link between these killings and the industries that you mentioned? Yeah, sure. So I think, well, it's first it's important to say that many of the ta- many of the threats and attacks that defenders face occur are occurring after communities are voicing their concern as I said, specifically um, in relation to corporations and their activities. Um, in terms of the data set itself, if you break down the statistics, in 2020 reports, so this is public reporting, this is 
uh, information that is being shared on the ground by local communities, um, NGOs, civil society who are feeding back information on cases uh, where there have been lethal attacks against activists. But then together globally uh, in the 2020 data set, reports linked specific industry development. So that, that covers industries from logging, um, hydroelectric dams, infrastructure projects, mining, um, large-scale agribusiness. And um, in 2020, you know, we found that almost 30% of killings were connected to, we could connect to specific, specific industries. So, you know, we've, I think like this is, this is not just a, a, a trend this year, that there are, you know, year on year, it tends to be the same types of industry, which are very land intensive, uh, very, dis- often very destructive, um, that are connected to, or connected to attacks on, on defenders. So uh, in 2020, logging was the sector uh, most linked to murders with 23 cases. Um, you know, this was, you know, we, we recorded attacks from Brazil, uh, Nicaragua, Peru, uh, to the Philippines. And so that, you know, this is this is a kind of global problem. It isn't regional, region specific. There isn't, uh, it, there isn't one industry that is, um, you know, more predominant than others. We, we see that, that constant uh, turnover. You know, this year logging logging was the highest, um, but in previous years we've recorded connection to the mining industry, to agribusiness industry, which has always been particularly high. Um, and I think that, you know, you know, why is this the case? It it isn't. It, it's to do with, as I said, the the intensity with which these industries are encroaching onto. Uh, indigenous or local land or are having the impact that they are having uh, on the environment which is affecting the livelihoods and welfare of local communities. Um, in terms of how we are making those connections, when we say there's a link between industry and killings, it, in many cases it isn't possible and what we're not saying is that there's a direct connection between a company and an attack. You know, proving connections like that in a court, you know, in a court of law, in a data set like this is exceedingly difficult. And it's it's very rare that anyone has been arrested or, or brought to court for killing defenders. You know, the, the perpetrators of attacks, um, as far as we are aware, and we often rely on public reporting in these cases because of the lack of or with the small number of cases that make it through to um, to a court setting. Um Perpetrators are usually reported as, uh, you know, triggermen, hitmen, unknown individuals, individuals connected to crime or often state officials who are engaged in policing the activism of, of local communities. But the connection between company and where companies and corporations really come into it is that it's their it's often their their projects which are on the ground confronting, as I said, the the livelihoods, the the welfare of, of local people. And it, it's those projects that begin the process of campaigners, indigenous communities, local communities, affected stakeholders standing up and really kind of bringing to attention that either the negative impacts of, of a project or the basically the lack of uh, due diligence, the lack of uh, consultation that companies have undertaken as a project has already begun, after a project's already begun. 
and so that that's the kind of link that that's when we say there is a link between uh, the killing of activists and industry we're talking about what what was this individual or this community because it's not often not just individuals what was this community campaigning about what was it that that began their their journey as a land environmental defender Perfect, thank you. Um, you mentioned um, the due diligence and those sort of aspects. I don't want to go too much into the technicalities, but bringing on from that and bringing it more to the European focus and I suppose also then the different countries, what kind of protections are there for these human rights defenders or what sort of upcoming protections will there be or we're trying to push for? So one of the key pieces of legislation that uh, Global Witness is focused on uh, over the next few months uh, is the European well, the European Commission is currently preparing two pieces of binding due diligence legislation. Uh, one is an initiative on uh, sustainable corporate governance, uh, and the other is a regulation on forest risk commodities. You know, this data set is is global in scope, but many EU companies are operating in or sourced from markets or in countries with weaker implementation of environmental and social regulation and so you know whilst there is some geographical distance between where attacks are taking place eu markets company companies operating within the eu um, have a responsibility to um, look to the impacts of their operations whether that's direct or indirect in, in other areas of the world and the the legislation that uh, we are specifically interested in is that is um, around sustainable corporate governance so this is a mandatory human rights and environmental due diligence legislation which um, you know we believe should require all companies doing business in the EU um, to undertake steps to prevent uh, to identify and to um, address uh, human rights and environmental harms across their entire value chain as part of their like due diligence processes. Um, ju- just a very practical question: if I'm a if I'm a listener and I feel outraged at everything you just said, at the fact that there are people dying on the other side of the world for protecting their environment, how can I make the link with even before the policy aspect and the, the what can I do as a citizen, how can I make the link with what I consume on a daily basis? Could you give examples of that? So in all honesty, that's, it's incredibly hard. I think that one of the problem with, uh, problems with supply chains is that they're not particularly transparent. Um, and the types of industries that, um, you know, we've talked about, um, from you know logging to agribusiness, you know we're covering a whole range, uh, a huge range of commodities, and so the use of those commodities um, within specific products, uh, once broken down, is incredibly hard in some cases to trace, uh, trace back to um, you know a specific project where harms are occurring, and I think um, you know for consumers, the you know there's a whole host of other problems around you know, um, not knowing what's the ingredients of what's in, you know, the food we consume, in the products we use. Uh, and so there's a whole other kind of debate there around, you know, what what are companies sharing with, with consumers in terms, just even in terms of the, the, the basic ingredients, um, um, simpler 
messaging on their on their packaging, so simpler naming of um, the types of ingredients, what you know, what exactly what they actually derive from um, initially. I think that that's that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other legislative area that um, is you know we we global witness is not working on. Um, but in terms of like what you know, what action can consumers or European consumers take right now? to support land environmental activists. I think it's really about um, knowing that this is a key moment for the sustainable corporate governance legislation. So, so for the mandatory human rights and environmental due diligence legislation, um, it's currently in draft. And in you know last year in, in 2020, October 2020, the commission held a public consultation on their planned approach for this legislation. They were requesting feedback from um, you know, civil society, from um, defenders, from the, the, the general public. And um, whilst this legislation is being drafted, whilst decisions are being made on the, um, you know, what's, you know, the, the details of what's included, it's really important that this issue is kept at the forefront of the debate. Um, you know, we, um, Global Witness worked with um, other NGOs last year, so Anti-Slavery International and the Clean Clothes Campaign, to uh, create a tool to really try to galvanise and ensure that the voice of global uh, global partners was brought directly to the Commission. And I think that to lose momentum on that initiative now, on keeping the voices of the people most directly affected by projects, but also who could be the most affected positively by this legislation their voices need to to remain at the forefront of um the legislative agenda really but um i mean i am guessing that there's going to be a lot of pushback from the industry on this because as you were explaining it's mandatory and we all know how much business loves being imposed um regulation especially from the eu so what can Essentially, what can citizens concretely do, like beyond consumers? If I am a person, once again, that feels outraged about this, what are the next steps, milestones that are going to be happening in the next few months? Is there anything, any project I can get involved with? Is there anyone I can contact, whether it's at the commission, whether it's in the parliament? Like, what can I do as an outraged and concerned citizen that wants to stand in solidarity with um, land and environment defenders? I think it's. I mean, it, it sounds simple, but it's about it's about awareness raising. It's about generating conversation using the tools that are available to you um, to keep the conversation on land environmental activists, on human rights activists in the public setting. You know, in I think in the last year or so, we've seen the increasing conversation around the climate crisis generally and. That media agenda is driven by public interest. It's driven by um, growing calls for by the general public to for politicians, for the media to engage on the subject. And as a result, that's had a knock-on effect, pushing itself into government, more so into government agendas. And I think that it, it's this sounds like a basic ask, but it's about you know it's about um, you know using the tools available to you, you know using social media to tweet out to MEPs, to members of the commission, that this is a topic of interest, that the voices of land and environmental defenders are important. It's about 
undertaking self-education as a consumer about just to understand that the the link between yourself living in you know living in Europe and an individual on the other side of the world who you are connected to because of the products you use um and the lifestyle that that you have and so it it's it's basic it's but it's about keeping this topic as part of the, the broader discussion on climate change as part of an agenda that has to be addressed and this legislation is what is one way to to do that um so i would i would say it's about you know promoting the data set that promoting the report that global witnesses has put out um you know promoting um the fact that land environmental defenders um are also autonomous have their own campaigns have their own um you know agendas are constantly engaged in their own activism um and that's not to be be forgotten that's to be engaged with to be promoted and to be amplified thank you thank you rachel so much uh we'll definitely keep an eye on this it's definitely going to be one of the big hot topic in eu policy in the next few months as you mentioned um if there's anything else that's going to be happening we would love to have you again on the podcast to tell us a bit more about this but meanwhile thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you for doing what you're doing and you know investigating all these issues that otherwise would never find their way into the public eye this is a very very important mission and i also wanted to um thank jade for coming and co-hosting this episode with me it's really nice to co-host with someone and she did amazing for the first time so i also wanted to say thank you for this and i will see you very soon bye rachel bye That's it, guys. That's the end of this first episode of this new season. We hope you liked it. We're very excited to bring you much more content in the next few months because, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot happening around the world. And as usual, if you have any thoughts, if you have any comments, feel free to reach out on social media at The Burning Case Podcast. Let us know if you liked it, what you didn't like, any topics that you'd like to see covered. And I will talk to you very soon.